Father, we thank you today for your word. And Lord, what we ask is we pray that as we open it together in your presence, that you would transform our lives. Your word is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It judges the motives of our heart. And we just pray, God, that you would have everything, you would have all of our hearts today, and your word would be able to take up residence inside of us. Lord, we pray for the grace to follow your word, to act upon your word, to respond to your word today. I pray that the things that I share as I teach your word, I pray that the things that are from you, that they would stick, they would encourage us, they would instruct us, they would convict us. But the things that are from me, I pray that they would fade into the background. God, I pray for your presence to be powerful among us today as we look to you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, Amen. John chapter 6, verse 1, here's what the Word of God says. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And then Jesus went up on the mountain, there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, he says to Philip, or he bumped him, And he says, where are we to buy bread so that all these might eat? This he was saying to test him. Seems a little unfair, but that's what happened. For he he himself knew that what he was intending to do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for all these people, but for everyone to even receive a little bit. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down in number of about 5,000. And we know that if you read commentaries or what others have to say that it just mentions men here. But if you would take into consideration women and children, and unfortunately it doesn't mention them, there could have been ten to 15,000 people sitting on the grass. Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign, this was an incredible, miraculous sign. When they saw this, what he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. And this is a reference, by the way, to Deuteronomy chapter 18, the prophet. If you want to know more about the prophet and the reference of Deuteronomy 18, you're going to have to come November 13th to the Ignite Gathering. And I will clear that up for you at that time. Some context in this passage, as we look at chapter, or chapter, as we look at this chapter, we look at verse one, and we read the phrase, after all these things. After all these things is a reference to a time lapse. Now, we, we've heard this before, and you may know this, I actually said it last week, that sometimes in Scripture, it isn't just one moment after another. It's not just the next day. There can be five to six months that have transpired from one chapter to the next, and that's actually what we believe 
happened here. All scholars seem to agree that from the pool of Bethesda moment that we read about last week to the moment of feeding the 5,000, there was approximately about six months that have gone by. And, uh, and, and what you do is you look at this story in all of the four gospels. This, this story actually is one of the, it's the only major miracle that Jesus performed that is mentioned in all four gospels. And that's really noteworthy. You read in Matthew 14 and Mark 6 and Luke 9 and of course here in John chapter 6. What you do is you take all of these stories and there's little details and you can compile them together and have the fullest picture that I believe God wants us to have. This event took place after the 12 disciples had returned to report to Jesus the results of their ministry. You might remember Jesus sent the disciples out two by two and they come back reporting, hey, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus was like, hey, don't get too overjoyed about that. Just remember that your names are written in heaven. And so I'm sure that calmed them down a bit. But <laughs> who wouldn't be excited to preach the kingdom and to see this sick healed and to also see demons get cast out of people. And so after that moment, this took place and there was a dangerous political environment or atmosphere that had developed because Herod Antipas had this strange suspicion that Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead. And so Herod was trying to interview Jesus. And so what Jesus did is he actually gets into a boat with his disciples to withdraw from the crowds and Herod's reach. And they took the boat to this remote place outside of Bethsaida where they could rest for a short time. And as you'll read in this passage, it says that they go up into the mountain region, and as Jesus is sat down with his disciples, it says the crowds come to him. And, and instead of getting frustrated like many of us might do, it says that he had compassion on them in one of the other gospel accounts. He had compassion on them. And Jesus began to teach the people for many hours until it became the afternoon or early evening. And he also would heal the sick. And we see this question that Jesus asked Philip, where do we to buy bread for all of these people to eat? I love this question. In the other gospel account, the book of Mark chapter 6, he asks them, because there's a little bit of dialogue between him and Philip, a little bit more than we see here, he says, how many loaves do you have? And I'm just reducing the question down to what do you have? This was not about information. Jesus was not asking them to calculate the loaves. He was asking them in a moment of discipleship to bring something out in their hearts. And what I want to say to you today is the concept, what do you have? I want to bring forward this thought, which I know you know, and it's not rocket science, but I want to drive this point home, and that is, is that God uses people. He uses people to bring the gospel he uses people to disciple others. He uses people to feed the hungry. And what we see in this story is that God uses people. Sometimes when we read this story, I think what we do is we think of ourselves as those who are in need. We think of ourselves as those who were sitting down on the grass. Jesus says to his disciples, tell all the people, 15,000 of them maybe, have them all sit down in small groups on the grass so that what? They can be provided for because he's caring for the needs of the people. Now, it's really important when you put yourself into the story who you think of yourself as. Do you think of yourself as the person that's sitting down on the grass waiting for Jesus to provide some food? Or do you think of yourself as the disciple that gets to distribute the miracle? And what I want to do is I want to bring you up from the person that's sitting on the grass waiting for the bread. I want to bring you up as the people of God and say, you and I 
are the disciples who are carrying something for other people to distribute to them what God has given to us so that they can be provided for. This is what a disciple of Jesus really is, is that we're not just waiting for him to do something in our life, although we do need him to meet our needs. But we are those who are carrying the baskets of provision to the people that God has called us to reach in this life. God uses people. He uses who we are and he uses what we have. Being used by God is not about worthiness. It's always about willingness. And this morning what I want to focus on is not so much what we don't have, it's what we do have. Jesus is asking us the question, just like he was asking his disciples, he was asking them to test them. Test them about what? Test them about whether or not they could recognize who they were walking with. You know, you, you look at what you don't have and instead he's saying, I want you to know who you have. In order for God to use us as he intends, we must give him all that we are and all that we have. You know, you see stories in the scripture. It's interesting. You look at the story of Moses. In Exodus chapter 3, God calls Moses. There's a burning bush experience, and the voice of God speaks out of the burning bush, calls Moses to deliver the people of Israel out of bondage and enslaved, their enslavement to Egypt. He calls them for this, and he negotiates with them. You might remember the story. I'm not the right person. It goes on and on. All the way into chapter 4 of Exodus. And it's interesting, and Moses asks God this question. He says to him, what if they don't believe that you appeared to me? Hey, God, I'm having this encounter with you, but what do I do if the people don't believe that you appeared to me and you're the one that was talking to me? And God says something back to him that is so interesting. He says, what is in your hand? I don't know. <laughs> it's a staff. He was a shepherd for 40 years. He's probably thinking like, why are you asking me this weird question? I have a staff. I've got a shepherd's rod. I have a stick. That's all I have. And he says, throw it down. And you remember what happens when he throws it down? He throws it down. It turns into a snake. And he probably did what most normal people would do is he ran. Ah, that's what I would do. If anything in my life turned into a snake, I would run. Or stomp it. I don't know what I would do. I, anyhow, it turns into a snake, and then he says, pick it back up again. So he picks it back up. And isn't it interesting that later on in the story, when the people of Israel get delivered, right, they come out of Egypt by God's mighty hand. It's that same staff where God says, I want you to take that staff, and I want you to hold it over the Red Sea. And what happens? He parts the sea. It's just a stick. Isn't it interesting that God will use what we have to do something miraculous? This is what we see again and again in the Bible. In fact, I've got all these other stories to share with you that I don't have time to share. But I want you to know there are many of them in the scripture. And the question that we want to ask ourselves is what do you have? What do I have that God is calling upon to use for his glory? I want to make three observations because I am unashamedly a three-point preacher, and there is no bonus point this morning. <laughs> point number one, God knows what we have, and God knows what we don't have. In verse five, when Jesus asked Philip where we were going to get bread for all the people, he knew that they didn't have food. He knew that they didn't have the money. He knew that there was no Winco in any kind of local proximity to go get enough or a Chick-fil-A that could cater. You know, there was not a place that they could go to that was close enough 
to get food for all these people. In fact, it says right after verse 5, he, he didn't ask him this for Philip to calculate. He didn't ask Philip because he really needed to know. He asked this because he wanted to test him. He wasn't asking. And, and, and that's what sometimes we do. If you're like me, it's like God will ask you to do something. And before you have faith arises in your heart or emerges, what you'll do and I'll do is we'll start to calculate. We'll get out the Excel spreadsheet and try to figure out if we can actually accomplish whatever it is that's in front of us. We'll start to negotiate whether or not this is something that we can even do. Come on, is anybody out there like this, right? I'm not really sure if this is God. I'm not really sure if this is something that I can do. Well, God is not asking us because it's in our human ability. The need is going to always far outweigh the resources that we have. Can somebody say amen to that? See, we live a life of faith as we follow Jesus, and he's going to ask us to go farther than we feel like we can go. He's going to ask us to do something that we're not able to do in the flesh. God is really good at asking you and I to do things that we cannot do. And it's why we need faith. If you don't need faith to live the Christian life, you've just got to wonder, am I fully living what God's called me to live? And I know that sounds hard. I know it sounds difficult to hear that. What are you saying, Ben? Am I not living the Christian life? No, I'm saying, are you living the fullness of the life that God has called you to live? He wants us to grow from faith to faith, from glory to glory. He wants us to step into miraculous moments where we literally need God to show up or what he wants to do will not happen. He wants us to call upon him in prayer. The reason that we pray is because we don't have enough. He wants us to ask him. He asks us to give him what we have. He knows what we have. He knows what we don't have. And our response really matters. God's plans are always bigger than our resources. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? He's going to call you beyond your comfort, ladies and gentlemen. God is going to call you beyond your comfort. I want you and I to read the Bible with eyes of faith. Right, the Bible is not just a book that happened. It's a historical narrative. And I know some people say that all the time. It just drives me nuts. Oh my gosh. It's almost like when you read some books about hermeneutics or biblical exegesis, it's like here's how you teach the Bible. But there's not a lot of books on here's how you live the Bible. And you know what I reduce it down to? I really think that, that some folks are just okay with memorizing passages and knowing what the book says, and we're just fine with not re reading it to live it out. And that should be unacceptable. In fact, it's spiritually illegal. Yeah. <laughs> the more you live in proximity to God, the more you, can get, you will get uncomfortable because he's going to call you beyond. He's going to call you beyond. When I was, I've told you my story, when I was 24, I married this beautiful woman named Bridget Adams at the time. Now she's Bridget Dixon because she's mine. Not his property, trust me, this woman is no one's property. <laughs> but she's my wonderful wife, and I married her. She was 27, I was 24, and she had a 9 and 11-year-old son, 24. I was 24, let that sink in, ladies and gentlemen. 24, 9 and 11-year-old, Okay. I adopted them. Okay, this is what this is what I did. And they had two different fathers, and they were they had abandoned these boys, and I and I chose them, and I had the privilege. And the awesome, I mean, my wife didn't necessarily need me; she was doing great as a single mom. But I had the opportunity and the privilege to help raise them into their destiny, their God-given destiny. And that was my privilege. And now uh, they're 26 and 24, and they're just such a blessing. But I can tell you this: I had no clue what I was doing. 
Let's go, can, I, can we have an honest moment? I had not a clue what in the world I was doing, but I had all the faith in the world. Like, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be a father at 24. 24? This, yeah, that's about the right age. 9-11, of course. Yes, this is going to be great. No muss, no fuss, no problems, no issues, no difficulty, no counseling. None of that's needed. Somebody said to me, you need to pick up this book by Dr. James Dobson called Raising Boys. I, I picked up that book. I read that book. And I got to this chapter, right? I got to this chapter in Dr. Dobson's book where he says, you know what? God doesn't give us our kids as teenagers. He gives them to us as babies because if he gave them to us as teenagers, then we would go to prison for murder. <laughs> That's in the book. Not exaggerating. I read that and I just, I burned the, th I just threw the I was like, is there a black market section in the Christian bookstore for people like me? No. Nobody's that courageous. <laughs> I did not know what I was doing. I, I didn't feel like I had the maturity. I didn't have, definitely didn't have the money. I, didn't, I did not have what I felt that I needed to have to be a father to these two boys that were looking at me, calling me dad. But you know what's always true is that when you walk with Jesus, he always gives you what you need to do what he's called you to do. And he has been faithful to me every day of my life, whether I felt it or not, or I understood it or not. He gave me what I needed. He gave me wisdom. I love the gifts of the Spirit because I pray for words of wisdom in my parenting. I pray for words of knowledge. I pray for words of wisdom. I can't tell you how many times I've sat my kids down and say, what happened today? And they go, what do you know? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean, Dad? I say, you know we're Pentecostal, right? That's just not tambourines. I mean, you know, like, we, we believe in the power of the Spirit, and, and they, they get on edge. You, I, I'll bring my son. He'll tell you stories. It's awesome. It's awesome. I don't have anything but God. I'm admitting to you. No, I'm not. I'm, I prayed. And the Lord would show me things, and I'd sit them down in my office, and I remember my son Isaiah, he'd get so nervous. I'd say, well, you know, I was praying today, son. I want you to know I was praying today. <laughs> I was praying. And the Lord, you know, he speaks. You know that, don't you? uh-huh. Anything you want to say before I say to you what he said to me? Is there anything that you want to share in your life that might, we might find a helpful moment? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I believe in words of wisdom. I believe in words of knowledge, not just in the church, ladies and gentlemen, but for the church, for real life. Do you live real life? God, I need the gifts of the Spirit. I need everything you've given me. I need the gift of tongues. I don't know what to pray as I ought to, so I pray in the Holy Spirit. I love what God gives. I exercise what God gives, and I want more of it because we need what God gives to live the life that God has called us to. He knows what we have, and he knows what we don't have, and we, but do we know what he has? Everything we need. God is going to give us what we need, but he doesn't usually give it to us until those moments that we need it. He wants us to stay close to him. 
He wants us to stay close to him, to abide in him. He's not playing games with us. He wants us to come. You may not have the skill, the money, the experience, but you walk with God, and God will give you what you need for the task that's in front of you. So when you look at stories in Scripture, there are so many people that argued and negotiated with God because they felt that they didn't have whatever they needed for the assignment that was in front of them. And that is the thing that we need to confront. It's the reason that we have the Scripture The Bible actually says about itself that these things were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages has come. We need to take up the scripture and realize it's to equip us. It's to give us the ammunition so that when God calls us to something, we realize Abraham, Noah, you know, we look at all these stories, Peter. We see these stories because it equips us to step out on the water, right? This is what it's all about. He knows what we have. He knows what we don't have. It's not about our ability. Often it's about our availability. It's about us saying yes to the Lord. The second point I want to make is God wants us to give him what we have. In verse 8, Andrew mentions that there's a boy with five loaves and two fish. And when he says it, he goes, well, there's a, a boy here with five loaves and two fish. But what is that for all these people? It's like he doesn't even know why he mentions it. We got five loaves and two fish. But what is that for all these people, Jesus? Right? I could just, I would love to sit there and just observe. I I think I would laugh, probably get rebuked. (laughs) Jesus calls them to bring the boy in his food because he is about to do something miraculous and show forth who he really is. Before Jesus does anything, he calls them to bring what they have. Bring me what you have. He didn't just multiply it out of thin air. Do you understand what I'm saying? He didn't just, well, a little bit of this, bam, a little bit of pixie dust, boom. You know, just stuff just appears out of thin air. He took five loaves and he made it feed thousands. He took two fish and he gave it as protein for thousands. I mean, this is what he does. He takes the little that we have and he makes it enough he, he's the ultimate stretcher. He can stretch the money for the month. You know, he can stretch the food. He can make it work. He just does that. He takes something little and he, he performs a miracle with it. You know what? That's what our lives are like. He takes our lives and he performs miracles in and through our lives. This is what he's good at and this is what we want to believe him for. What do you have? What resources do you have? Let's stop focusing on what we don't have. You know, a lot of times that's what we do. We thought, well, I don't have this and I don't have that and I don't have, I would have never written books if that were the case. You know how many people ask me, do you have an English degree? I said, no, but I do know that there's this thing people called an editor (laughs) and I can fundraise. There are always people standing on the sidelines because maybe they're not doing what God's called them to do, and so they start questioning you when you step out to do what God's called you to do, and you just have to make sure that you're listening to the voice of God in your life because if you listen to everybody else on the sidelines who maybe isn't in the game, you're going to have a hard time playing at your fullest potential. And we've got to remember, God's going to call us beyond what other people say that we're qualified for, and God's going to call us beyond what we feel like we're qualified for. But if we listen to everybody else's voice, we're going to have a hard time doing anything in this life. This is not just about experience and expertise. There are people that know far more than I do. I'm not dumb to that. I know that. I have people walk up to me and correct me all the time. And it's cool. Sometimes I learn from it. Sometimes I pray for them. I, you know, it just, it varies. 
I don't want to be wrong, but I've, I've, had, I've, I've preached all over, all over, and I've had people walk up and say, hey, I appreciate you saying that, and here's where you were wrong. And I'm cool with that. Like, if they genuinely did know something, I'm like, awesome, thank you for sharing that with me. I've, I, I have no ego to serve. I know that there are people that know more than me. I get it. Thank you. Pray for the boy. Awesome. But I don't think I'm going to get to heaven and God's going to go, well, uh, you know, that one time, you know, I'm just, hey, I just, I think he's going to qualify my Christianity by whether or not I stepped out on what I knew, whether I did something with what I had. Was I a good steward with my knowledge or was it just knowledge? Was it just like I'm the smartest person in the room or did I do something with what God put in my life? And this is the challenge that we have to face today. We have to realize that God is not just trying to make us smart people. He wants us to be people that are active in the life of faith so that everyone around us can know Jesus better as a result of our life. And so he puts something in our hands and he says, I want you to sow it into the ground so that it can produce fruit so that it can produce fruit. He wants us, we've got to give him what we have. 18 years ago, I became a youth pastor at a small church in Kirkland. And in those days, there was a youth pastor at this church called City Church. You may have heard of it. And they're called Church Home Today. And the youth pastor's name was Judah Smith, and he's the senior pastor there. So they would have about 50 to 80 youth pastors get together, and they would have this training for youth pastors. I was really grateful for that because I didn't know what in the world I was doing. I had like four and a half kids in my youth group, you know, 4.5. Because, you know, like Samuel, he didn't show up half the time. You know, he just, he wasn't always there. So we just considered him like a half. So I had like four and a half kids in my youth group and I needed training. I needed to know what I was doing. And they had this training. I would go there to this big church, huge church. They had 800 people in their youth group. And so they would do this training, you know, and, 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 and I'm grateful for them. God bless them. But, but Judah and Jude Fuquay, they would do this training and, and 50, 60 youth pastors, and they all had these big ministries. And here's Ben Dixon with 4.5 kids in his youth ministry. <laughs> I just got my head down. Like, I have nothing. I don't even know why I'm here. <laughs> and they would talk about all this stuff, like budgets. <laughs> we didn't have a budget. I was like, what's a budget? I should talk to my senior pastor about that. <laughs> oh, that's money for ministry? You need that? I bet you guys do because you got 800 kids, you know. I didn't have anything. They're talking about how many, you know, 12, 15, 20 kids came to Christ this week. I'm like, I am wrestling this one kid whose parent hates me. I'm trying to strong arm him to give his life to Jesus and nothing is working. I remember showing up one morning and I'm preaching. I'm teaching out of the scripture. And that one of the kids, the most popular kid in our group, he's like, why are you doing that? You know, I didn't do that. I didn't, I didn't do that. I thought it. I didn't do it. Safe sanctuary. I didn't do it. I would not do that. I don't condone it either. No, literally, no exaggeration. I had a kid say right in front of everybody, why are you talking about that? And I'm like, I don't know. It's the Bible. This is church. That's kind of what we do. Welcome to the club. Thanks for showing up today. Or half of you that showed up. That was great. And, and, and the ministry just magnified my inability. It magnified my lack because these moments would happen again and again and again. I was questioned. I was challenged. I didn't know enough. I didn't have enough. And then I'd go to these trainings, and everybody, had every, everybody was so positive, so upbeat. God's moving in power and wonder and glory. It's awesome. It's amazing. I'm about to be on Christian television. I'm like, I think I'm about to quit. 
And I really genuinely felt like quitting every time I would go to these trainings. I felt like quitting. I walked away and felt rejected. And it wasn't them. It wasn't their fault. It was just how I felt. I'm just being honest with you. And so I would pray and get in my car and say, Lord, I just, I'm terrible at this. I, I can't even lead one guy to Christ. I got one unsaved kid in my group, and I can't even lead him to Christ. My story is not compelling enough. I'm not enough. Lord, I'm not enough. And you know what the Lord said to me? Stop comparing yourself to other people and just do what I've called you to do. Minister to the people that are in front of you. That's all you got to do. And full circle, that same kid whose mom did not like me because she was of another branch of Christianity, that same kid years later called me and he said, hey, Ben, I would love it if you would come. I'm getting baptized. And I'm going to give you a little secret. You know where he was getting baptized at? City church. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Awesome. But he said, you, you made a huge impact in my life, and I would love it if you would come and stand with me in baptism waters. That same knucklehead kid gave his life to Jesus and got baptized at the very church that I felt rejected at, not by, but at, when I was getting youth pastor training. See, the Lord will take what you have, and he will multiply it, and he will do what he wants to do for his glory and that's the awesome thing is, is that, I, I, listen, here's, here's what, we all have different status in life, but in Christ, we're all here. We're all here. I don't treat anybody differently. I don't care if you're a millionaire. I don't care if you don't have any money. It doesn't matter. We're all here in Christ. If we believe him for more, he'll use us in a mighty way. Amen. He doesn't consider our status in this life. I love that about the Lord. He just doesn't. What he does is he's, what, he's not impressed by anything or anyone. He will use people that say yes. And a lot of times the people that say yes in the midst of others saying no, those people that are saying no are just indifferent and they won't say anything. They're the ones that often criticize the people that say yes, that don't seem to be equipped or enough equipped to do yet what they're doing. I have watched that happen again and again. In fact, I've even said it to the Lord. Why are you using that person like that? It doesn't make any sense. And the Lord will rebuke me. This person said yes. Look at the disciples all they did is say yes. They were not the qualified people. They were the people that God chose and responded to him in his invitation. I just want to tell you this morning not to wait for, for better or wait for something different or whatever. God wants us to give him what we have. What do you have? You say, God, what am I called to? That's such a wonderful question. So often we're like, what am I really passionate about? I think in our generation, in our day and age, we can get mesmerized by what other people do in the name of Jesus, and we think that's really what I want to do. And the whole while we're looking at what somebody else is doing and we're ignoring what he's put right in front of us. We're despising what he wants us to do while we're magnifying what somebody else does. We can't compare ourselves to others. It will kill us. We've got to lay hold of what God has entrusted into our care, and we've got to give it to him. And my third and final point, is that God will multiply what we have when we give it to him. God will multiply what we have when we give it to him. Jesus took what they had. He told them to sit down in groups, then he gave thanks for it. I, I just want to point that out. He gave thanks for the five loaves. It wasn't until he gave thanks that the miracle started. Sometimes I think the problem that we can have, that I can have, is that we're not giving thanks to God for what we do have because we're always looking for something that we don't have. I can't tell you how many times people have walked up to me and said, well, I, I just really appreciate your evangelistic passion. I'm not an evangelist, but they just say, I just wish I was like that. 
I just wish I had a gift of evangelism. See, we just separate ourselves before we ever even try anything. We, all, we already just discount ourselves. We, we count ourselves out. We put ourselves in the spectator seat before we ever even ask the Lord. The, the, the voice that we have to listen to is the voice of the Lord. We have to stay faithful to the voice of the Lord. Not, not my voice. Check this stuff out for yourself. Read the scriptures for yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit for yourself. I want to challenge us as a people to be active as the people of God, as disciples of Jesus, of course. But ultimately, we're responsible to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus gave thanks for what they had. And that was the point where the miracle starts. He will multiply what we have when we bring it to him. People that do not bring Jesus what they have do not see the miracles. People that do not bring Jesus what they have, however broken it is, however little it is, he doesn't need a lot, he just needs all you got. See what I did there? These rhymes, they take a lot out of me, I want you to know. I know it's powerful, I'm just... I'm just messing with you. I'm not really that arrogant. I, was... I want to see the miraculous of God, don't you? Amen. I don't want to wait for some time when I think that I'm ready. I don't want to wait for some time when I think I'm enough or I have enough. He doesn't ask me to wait. He just asks me to put forward where I'm at and what I have. And then he'll ask for another step. And then he'll ask for another step. That's how it works with the Lord. And we feel, if I asked everybody in this room, do you feel behind the time of your development? I mean, every hand probably would be raised. I, I know. I used to ask people this question. It was a very guilt-ridden question. Do you feel behind the time of where you ought to be? Everybody probably feels that way. Well, let's stop feeling that way and just start taking a step, one step. God, what are you calling upon in my life to give to you? What are you asking me to lay down? What are you asking me to take up? What are you asking me to turn over? What are you asking me to put into your hands? What's in front of me that I'm not seeing right now? What are my five loaves and two fish that you want to provide? You want to use as provision for other people? What are those things, Lord? God does not use you based on what you have, but he calls you to trust who you have. And when you walk with a miracle worker, <laughs> anything is possible. There's a lot of things we could feel in the room right now when it comes to being used by God, but I just want to say, God uses people. He uses people, but he can't use everybody the same if, if those folks aren't saying yes. He's not going to force us. He's not going to coerce us. He's not going to make us. He's going to invite us. We get to co-labor. We get to participate. We get to put our hand to the plow. I was praying before the service, and I had this picture, and I don't know if I can convey it properly, but I'm certainly going to try, but the Lord gives me these prophetic visions, these pictures when I pray, and I saw this beautifully landscaped yard. It was just, it was amazing. It was, it was perfect. Somebody had put a lot of work, a lot of effort in, into that yard. It, it was pride of ownership. It was all there, and then just like, happens, just like what happens in the fall is the, the leaves start to fall off the tree. The leaves die, and they fall off the tree, and they fall all over the yard. And, and, and I'm talking, it was like that fall season, when, just like we're in right now, where every, all these leaves just cover the entire yard. 
They cover the entire yard. You couldn't even, in this picture, you couldn't even see the yard. You couldn't even see that there was a yard. All you could see was dead leaves. And I just had this sense like the Lord was saying that the last season, they're talking about seasons here, the last season is covering up what God wants to do. It's covering up the landscape of our soul. And sometimes we think, oh, that's really beautiful, but those leaves are dead and God wants to rake up. He wants to breathe that dead stuff away from the last season so that we can step into today. What has God called us to do right now? What has God called us to put our hand to right now? Or who has God called us to come alongside right now? And if the answer is you don't know, that's okay for today. But that answer has to change for us because God wants us to make a dent in our community. Our influence matters for the glory of God, doesn't it? But we'll never see it unless we give him the five loaves and the two fish of our life. And then he'll do miracles. What if what you're carrying is something that will feed thousands? I don't think that boy knew when he came to hang out with everybody that day, like skipping around with five loaves and two fish. I'm carrying something that's going to feed thousands today. (laughs) I don't think he had any idea that what he was carrying was enough to feed thousands. I'm positive of it. I'm certain of it. What if what you're carrying is enough to transform and change the lives of thousands of people and you have no idea? But until you give it to him, you're not going to see it multiply and start to affect change in the lives of people. And what I want to do this morning, as I prayed, I just, listen. There are some of you, I know this to be true, you need the hand of God to come upon you today. You need the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come upon you today. Ben, where do I start? You know where we start? We start in prayer. We start by asking the Holy Spirit to breathe fresh life on us, to ignite something in us. And I believe that the anointing of the Holy Spirit will come fresh on some of us who have done and some of us who have yet to do. That God wants to anoint us fresh. I just saw the hand of God coming on some of us. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. And it's not everybody in the room. I don't do emotionalism. I think motions are important. But I don't try to push people to do anything to stand or come forward or any of that. For for my purposes, it doesn't matter to me. I just want to obey the spirit of God. But I really believe as I pray, there's some that you need the hand of God to come upon you. And I'm saying, I'm prophesying to you now. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is going to accompany you as you respond by faith. God asked Moses to put his staff over the sea. It sounds silly, doesn't it? But sometimes he asks for an action. It's just an action. It's just faith. It's faith demonstrated. Moses, keep your arms up and you'll overcome. I mean, just silly stuff. But things happen in the spirit when we do take a step in the natural. That's what happens. As I pray and you feel like this is a moment where you need the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come upon you in this season, that dead things would be blown out of your life of the last season so that you could be fresh and walk into what God is saying today, giving him your five loaves and two fish. I want you to stand as I pray, okay? Just stand. You don't have to wait for me. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you this morning. I just pray for Northwest Church. I pray for us as a people. I'm standing. And I ask you, Lord, right now, I pray for fresh anointing. I pray for a heavenly flame to come upon us today, that as we leave this building, that we would go out with eyes that are open and ears that are open and hearts that are open for you to use us in whatever way that you desire to use us. Lord, make us your vessels. Make us an offering. 
that we would give ourselves fully and completely to you for your glorious purposes. Lord, we come to you this morning and we give you our five loaves, our two fish. We put ourselves into the offering plate and we say, use us for your glory and however you choose. I pray that you would give discernment today. I pray for your anointing today. I pray that the, your hand, your mighty hand would come upon everyone in this room standing by faith saying, that's me. Come, Holy Spirit. And we just pray this morning like they used to in the Jesus People movement years ago. Some of you remember this. I wasn't there. But I've read a lot about it. They would just say this. I don't know if it's theologically accurate. They would say, come, Holy Spirit. We pray, come, Holy Spirit. We ask for the winds to blow in this place. We pray in, in our hearts, blow the dead things away. Come, Lord, make us alive in you. And not just on this property, not just in church services, but everywhere we go, I pray that you would make us alive in Christ. Make us aware of our community. Make us aware of your moving and what you're doing and what you're saying and what you want us to do and what you want us to give to you, Lord. Today, I just pray we would take one more step in offering ourselves to you for your glorious purposes, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would the rest of you stand and don't go, don't run, don't run, don't run. As you go, be strengthened by God's word, be filled with God's spirit, be mindful of God's voice, be focused on his mission as we bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. We're so glad you were able to join us today. We would like you to find out more about Northwest Church by going to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or downloading our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.